morning, Living Church. Man, so glad that you're here uh, for week three of our series, Charge. And we're talking about how God's called us to charge into the future to pursue more people finding a relationship with Jesus. We're in the second year of our campaign. Last year, we launched the Charge Initiative, and so we're in year two. So those of you that are new to Living Church in the last year, man, we're thrilled that you're here, that God's brought you into this house to be a part of what he is doing here. You know, over the last uh, year, we've had two objectives in the Charge Initiative. The first is 100% engagement, that everybody who attends Living Church calls this place home would be charging with us, that we not just attend the church, but be the Living Church. And then the second it, uh, objective is a financial component, that we want to bring resources in to build God's house. And this year, as we walk into 2020, our belief is that we're going to pledge and give $4 million to build the kingdom of God. And so, man, I'm excited to see all that God does over the next year. And so why? why? Why are we doing that? It's so that we can create more space. I know that in this 830 service that you can look around and say, Pastor, we got plenty of space. We'll show up to the 10 or the 1130 service and you're going to see that we're out of room. That one o'clock is continuing to grow. And so we've got to establish more seats so that we're not turning people away to hear the goodness of Jesus. And so a few weeks ago, we walked through the building, showed you some of the renderings, walked through the blueprints and taught through that. That was the first week of the series if you want to go back and listen to any of that, but so exciting about what God's going to do. And I know that sometimes when we talk about money in the church, we can get a little bit antsy. There can be a little uh, anxiousness in our hearts about it, but can I just tell you as your pastor, I love you so much, I can't not talk about it. I love you so much, and there's so many promises in the Word of God when it comes to our finances that I can't keep my mouth shut uh, when it comes to it. You know, Jesus, he said this in Matthew 6, 21. He said, where your treasure is there your heart will be also. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And sometimes we have this idea that our finances and our faith need to be separated. But Jesus would say, no, 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 I want you to have a merger moment where your finances are submitted to what the word of God says. And then when you do that, there's promises associated with our obedience. And if you were here last week, we talked about how we believe in progressive sanctification. In the same way that when someone asks Jesus into their heart, they don't change every single issue that they've been dealing with. I've been following Jesus for a long time, and there's still some Frankensteins I have to beat up every once in a while. There's still some stuff in me that I'm wrestling with, and so if we have uh, grace for that, we should have grace when it comes to finances. And sometimes pastors, they only teach on the tithe. So I'm going to talk about that today, but there's actually a lot of different ideas of how we can make some steps towards growth. And so last week we talked about the giving ladder. We actually showed a video of the teaching from last year and about how in our faith when it comes to finances, there's a couple different groups of people. There's people that I would consider an initial giver. Initial giver is someone who's never given before. And maybe you hear some of this teaching, you say, well, okay, it's time for me to step out in obedience and to be an initial giver for the first time. And we celebrate that step, that you're telling God, God, I'm just going to test you a little bit and see if this works. The next step would be an occasional giver. An occasional giver would be someone who would come and they would give when they're here. And so their giving is kind of based upon their church attendance. If they attend church, then they kind of view it as going to a restaurant. If I go to a restaurant, I'm going to pay for what I receive. And so there's occasional givers. But I know that God is good whether I'm in church or out of church, right? And so the next step would be that we're a consistent giver. A consistent giver is someone who has a predetermined decision and they say, you know what, no matter what happens in life, even if I'm out of town or if I'm sick, God is still good. I'm going to consistently give. The, sec the next step is someone who is a surrendered giver. 
A surrendered giver is someone who would look at what God's word says about the tithe, about returning the first tenth to him, and they would surrender to what the word of God says. Now, in this place, there's a lot of movement from consistent to surrendered. <clears throat> there's a lot of people in living church that are occasional givers. They give once a month, or they give every other month, or whenever they're here, whenever they have a little cash left at the end of the month. And so my hope is that you would step from occasional to consistent, but maybe you're consistent right now. Maybe you were here last year for charge, and you became a consistent giver, but you haven't stepped up to tithe yet. And maybe the 10%, man, it freaks you out. Well, then I would encourage you, go 5%, go 3%, go 7%. Make a decision to say, hey, God, I'm going to have a little bit more faith this year. I'm going to take one more step in a direction towards obedience to you. And I hope that a lot of us at Living Church would move from a consistent giver into a surrendered giver. And the last step, what I believe God would want for all of us, is that it would step into becoming an extraordinary giver. An extraordinary giver is someone who would consistently give the tithe, return the tithe back to the Lord, but then be open and willing to hear what God says when he wants you to go above and beyond to bring an offering to the Lord. This is how crazy things happen. This is how churches are built. This is how we see the miraculous happen is when people would step into this extraordinary prayer life and say, God, I don't want to just ask, what should I give? But I want to ask, well, what would you have me keep? It's a mindset shift. Say, God, in this season as the church is growing, what is it that you want me to keep and what would you want me to give? You know, I was praying this week with our team and I said, you know, this building that we're going to build on this land is going to last well beyond me. I'm going to die and be buried in the ground and there's going to be another pastor who comes and they'll lead and they'll die and they'll be buried in the ground and that 36 acres will still be a beacon of hope in our community. And so what we're building today is not just about today. It's about like, it's about like 10,000 tomorrows away that there's still this idea that we're investing in the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk a little bit today about that surrendered place, the surrendered giver, a person who would trust God enough to return to him. And so I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but I'm going to, be, I'm going to start in Malachi, uh, and I'm going to end in the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And so let me read for you Malachi 3.10, and then we're going to dissect some stuff around it. It says this, bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So right there, plain as day, the Bible gives us clear directive with a promise attached to it. It gives us direction with a promise that's attached that we should return the tithe to the Lord. But sometimes I'll talk with people and they'll say, Pastor, I don't believe that the tithe is biblically accurate for us today. I don't think the tithe is accurate because it's in the Old Testament. It's under the law. Say, I don't think that we should tithe because it's pre-Jesus. Under the law in the Old Testament, the law that Moses brought, people were saved through works. You were saved by doing the right things. You were saved by bringing in a sacrifice to a priest, and the priest would then take that thing, and through that there would be a forgiveness of your sins. But because of Jesus, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, right? We're saved because Jesus already paid the penalty for us. And so there's this idea that what everything was connected to the law is now worthless. And so I would, I would talk with people and they're adamantly arguing with me that this principle of the tithe doesn't apply today. But my question would be, should we throw out everything that's under the law as though it's not applicable? Moses, he said in his law, thou shalt not kill, right? 
Jesus didn't come and abolish murder. Jesus actually said you shouldn't kill, but you also shouldn't hate, because hate is like murder of the soul. Moses said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus didn't come and say, you can go and get freaky with anybody you want to. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, it's as though you've committed adultery in your heart. Look at what the Bible says. These are Jesus' words, Matthew 5, 7, 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Jesus showed up on the scene to make a way where there was no way, but he doesn't say, but you should not listen to the life wisdom that the prophets have taught you. And people would say, well, pastor, it's still a law. (laughs) It's still under the law. And so I'd say, okay. Well, what if the principle of the tithe existed before the law? If you know Bible history, what if the principle of the tithe existed pre-Moses? Well, it just so happens that it does. 500 years before the law, uh, we have Abraham. Now, Abraham is our spiritual father. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? And so we understand that Father Abraham is our spiritual father, right? And so 500 years before the law, we have a guy named King uh, Melchizedek. King Melchizedek, he was a priest and a king. He's the representation of Jesus. Let me read this, Genesis 14. Genesis, that's the beginning. That's before the law. Melchizedek, the king of Salem and priest of God most high. So he's representation of Jesus and king and priest. He brought Abraham, who's our spiritual father, some bread and some wine. What's that sound like? When in church do you have bread and juice? Communion. So the king priest brings our spiritual father bread and wine in representation of communion and salvation. And it says this, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Then Abraham, our spiritual father, gave Melchizedek a tenth of all of the goods he had recovered. The principle of the tithe is pre the law. And I could read a dozen dozen other scriptures, but I want to get some other content today. There's many other occasions. I was talking with this one guy about the idea of the tithe not too long ago. And he said, well, pastor, and I read him that scripture. He said, well, pastor, it's still Old Testament. I know that it's pre-law, but it's still Old Testament. It's still before Jesus. And I asked him this. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. What if Jesus himself said that you should tithe? What if Jesus, the guy who paid the penalty for our sins, the way, the door, the truth, the life, the way maker, what if Jesus in the New Testament in red letters said that we should tithe? Would you? And he sat there and he thought and he hesitated and he pondered. And I said to him, I said, man, your hesitation shows me that it's not a theology issue. It's a heart issue. So sometimes we would use false theology to protect our hardened heart. He didn't like that a whole lot. And I said, and he said, well, pastor, you know what? That's a hypothetical question because Jesus didn't say that. I said, well, you haven't read your Bible enough. (laughs) Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is teaching and he says this, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's talking to religious leaders. 
He said, you give a tenth, the tithe, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, like mercy, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus is saying, you religious people, you're real good at the tithe. You tithe on everything, even your spices. Today he'd say, you even tithe your salt, your pepper, and your sweet and low. You, you tithe on everything, but you've forgotten the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith. Look what he says next. You should have practiced the latter, the thing that I just said, justice, mercy, and faith, without neglecting the former, the first thing that I said, the tithe. And so Jesus is telling these religious people that you should do both. He doesn't say just have love and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and then forget about giving the tithe. He says that you should do both in contrast. You should do both uh, in cohesion with each other. They should be connected to each other. And so I said that. And, uh, and uh, you know, the truth is, if you claim that you won't give because it's not biblical, and after you hear that, it has nothing to do with your theology and everything to do with your heart. Yeah. I love you. I love you. But, I mean, it's right here in Scripture. And I believe that as Christians, all of us should be pursuing being a surrendered giver. You know, the tithe, it means 10%. And I think the reason that God chose 10% is because it is even for everybody. You could make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, and 10% hits you in the same way. Out of every dollar, you're given a dime. Out of every dime, you're given a penny. That God is saying, I want you to give a representation of the whole. I think that he picks this 10% because of how numbers are structured. You know, if you can count to 10, you can count to 100. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, then what do you do? You start over back again at 1. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 1, you start over. If you can count to 10, you can count to 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 or a million because all it is is a representation of counting of 10. And God is saying, I want you to bring the first tenth as a representation of the whole. And I'm going to allow you to live off of the 90 when you bring me back the 10, and then the 90 is going to be blessed. That's good stuff, y'all. When you give the tithe, when you give the tithe, you're giving not just to man, but to God. You're giving not just to man, but to God. Look at what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. It says, here on earth, mortal men, that's me, receive the tithe. But there in heaven, he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. And so it's true. When you give tithe to living church, I, a mortal man, receive them. And I hold account before God of everything we use that resource for. But scripture says that you don't only give it here locally, but you also give it as a gift to heaven. And so if I take your money and I blow it and I steal it and I use it to do horrible things, it's still a gift to Jesus. And then someday I have to stand and hold an account of how I've managed the gift that you've given. And so if you've ever been in a church where someone has taken advantage of the tithe that you've given, you still receive a blessing. Because you didn't only give to that person, you also gave to the goodness of God. So Malachi 3 is where I said we're going to spend some of our time, but I want to read some of the verses before verse 10. Malachi 3, verse 6, it says this. 
It's so good. I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. So God just wants to set it up with this. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, do not change. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. This is God talking, and he says, but you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? It's like the idea of us saying, man, God, how would I rob you? It's not like I put on a ski mask and drive to heaven and kick in the pearly gates and rob you. We're saying, how would we rob God? And it says this, but you ask, how are we robbing you? And God's response is in tithes and offering. Wow. How are we robbing God? God does not change. He's saying yesterday, today, and forever. How are we robbing him in tithes and offering? Then this next verse makes a lot of people mad, but I didn't write it. So you got to take it up with the author. And it says this, you are under a curse. If you're not giving, if you're not returning the tithe to the Lord, then you're under curse. Now, what does that mean? This does not mean that God's in heaven, like, with a big witch's pot, right in a cauldron, and, like, brewing up curses. Here's what it means. If you're born on earth, and you're a human, you're born into a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We live in broken society. There's a very real enemy, the devil, who's trying to steal every good thing that God has for us. And so because of that, our finances are naturally under a curse. God's not like up in heaven zapping Christians, like, bzz, 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 you're a loser, bzz, 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 right? That's not what he's doing. We live under a curse. And God, he's saying that when you return to me the representation of the whole, then the 90% is now blessed. He says, you ask, how are you robbing me? And tithe and offering, you are under a curse because you are robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe, all 10%, into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church. Is the local church. Now, a lot of times what we want to do is because we're in charge of all of the rest of our money, we want to govern over our tithe. And we want to make a decision that we think that, well, I'm going to give some of my tithe to this and some of my tithe to that. You can think that, but that's not what the Bible says. That we need to give all of our tithe to our local church. And can I just tell you that if you're one of the thousands of people that watch online and you go to another church during the week, but you watch Living Church as a supplemental meal, you need to tithe to the church that you attend. Now, thank you for giving. Those of you that watch online, hundreds of you give to Living Church. But if there's a local church that you go and get fed from and volunteer at and your kids go and they go to youth group there, that's where you need to be investing your tithe. And then we would be a secondary place that you would want to bless. I just said that to a thousand people on the internet. So I'm not just trying to get your money in our house. I want everybody who's under the auspice of our ministry here to be obedient to what the scripture says. So it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? that there may be food in my house, that there might be food here in the house. Now, if you ever come to Living Church and appreciate the spiritual meals that you get to eat, right, that's food that's been prepared by the money that's came in. Somebody is paying for the food here. The reason that Matt and Diana can lead a worship team that edifies the body is because people pay for it. They have bills, they got cars, they got insurance, they got stuff, right? I'm the guy who writes their check, so you guys give money to the church, and then I pay them to do a job, and then they have the ability to then feed the house. If you have a teenager that comes on Wednesday night, the reason that the teenagers can get ministered to is because somebody's 
paying for it. Somebody's giving, and then we're taking those resources, and then I'm paying Pastor Parker to give his life to reach teenagers, and then now there's food in the house because somebody paid for it. Right now, Pastor Tim and Michelle are leading kids, and the reason that there's food in that house is because somebody's paying for it. And so if we want food to be in the house, we have to bring stuff into the house. And as more people come in, more food's required. And so those of us that are here, we have to be investing so that more people can be reached. That's some good stuff. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, this is the only time God ever says this next part in all of Scripture. He says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Test me, try me, provoke me, call my bluff, make my day. I'll be your huckleberry, right? God's saying, test me in this. God's not playing. God's not playing. He says, listen, if you're obedient, I'm going to show up in your life. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing out there will not be room enough to store it. See if we'll not throw open, not crack open, not just open and peek through and see who's out there. God's going to get one of those big battering rams the SWAT team uses and throw open the floodgates of heaven. Not some little broke down garage, not some little janked storage unit, heaven. The floodgates of heaven, the Bible says, where the streets are made of gold. The Bible talks about how the boundary walls of heaven are made of gems. Giant walls of diamond and ruby and sapphire are the things that orient the size of heaven. The gate to get into heaven is known as the pearly gate. A gate so big made of a single pearl that a multitude could walk through it. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on thousands of hills in heaven. This is the place that he wants to open the floodgate over our lives. And he says that he's going to pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So much blessing, not just financially, but favor. You see, when God pours favor over your life, it brings blessing in beyond what you can understand. And so this is not prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says that if you give this, you're going to receive this. But God's favor over your relationships is better than any amount of money you could ever have. God's favor to give you wisdom in the steps you need to take is way more valuable than any money you could ever bring. And so God says, I want you to return to me the first 10%. That out of every dollar, that out of every 10 dimes, that you would say, God, I want to give you one. And then, God, you're going to allow me to keep one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, God, all you're asking is that I return to you representation of 10% first, and then you're going to allow me to keep the 90%. The Bible says this in Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord. Everyone say honor. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crop, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so what God does is he says, out of all the oranges that I give you, I want you to give me one. So God says, I'm going to give you 10 oranges. I'm going to give you 10 oranges, and all these oranges, I, you can eat them. You can bust them open, crack them open, and you can eat them, and you can feed them to your kids. I'm going to give you 
10 oranges, but I just want you to give me one. Oh, pears. Anybody like pears? And so God says, go ahead. And God says, uh, man, this pear is going to be so good, but God says, give me the first one. Give me the first pear. Just throw them down. We can go quick. And so God says, but all the other pears you get to keep. Any potato people? I'm a potato person. I'm not eating gluten-free or carb-free. Cut these up into some waffle fries. Come on now. And so God says, God says this, I'm going to give you all kind of potatoes, but all I do is I want you to take one bag of potatoes and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you with those potatoes. Where are my apple people at, right? Apple a day keeps the doctor away. An apple of God once a month keeps the devil out of your life. And so God says, just one bag of apples. I'm giving you 10 bags. I'm going to give you 10 bags of apples, and I want you to just take one and give it to me. I think this is a kiwi. Is that what that is? A kiwi. And so God says, I'm going to bring some stuff in your life every once in a while. You don't really know what it is, but all I do is I want you to just give me one of them. Just give me one kiwi, and I'm going to go ahead and let you keep nine kiwis. You're going to get to eat all those. Oh, grapes, any great people? I love me some grapes. And God says, man, I want to bring abundance into your life. God's been feeding his people grapes since the beginning of time. And God says, but give me the first grapes that come into your life. Oh, some limes. I like some limes in my sweet tea. I like some limes on my fajitas. Come on now, cut that up, sizzle it down. And I don't care how much you like limes, God says, give me the, you get to keep the nine limes and just go ahead and give me the one lime. Ooh, piña. Got some pineapple. Come on, keep coming, y'all. Y'all got to go quick. God's blessing us in big ways. And so, so, so in your life, God might bring 10 pineapples. He's going to bring 10 levels of blessing into your life. And he says, but son, all I want you to do is just give me one of those pineapple, oh man, celery. <laughs> like, like, if you're giving me celery, peanut butter better be on the way, God, right? And so I might bring you some stuff that you're not really thrilled about, but go ahead and just give me one. Then I don't even know what you do with this. It's an, egg, it's an eggplant. It's an eggplant. And so this eggplant, I don't know how you cook it. I don't know what to do with it. But you say, God, I'm gonna, you're giving me nine. Thank you for my eggplants. But I'm going to go ahead and make sure that I give you one and a Brussels sprout. <laughs> we got kind of a weird track record, God. I got some celery. I got an eggplant. Now you're giving me a Brussels sprout. And so, Lord, I'm not really thankful for this. But then God busts out with some Oreos after he... And so, so sometimes... You don't understand why he's not giving you things that you want, and then God shows up with that double stuff. He hits you with the double stuff, blessing in your life. But listen, listen, you, give, you get to keep nine, but God says, just return to me, just one. Pomegranate is Christmas time. It's kind of a seasonal fruit. They're hard to eat, but they're delicious, and so God says, you get to keep nine pomegranates. These are all for you. Split them up. You have some friends over, have a pomegranate party, but remember me and give me one. Bell peppers, those are good. They're yummy. Chop them up, put them in some rice, get some stir fry. You get to keep nine. God says, but go ahead and entrust me and give me one. We got some cauliflower. Where's the ranch dressing, right? And so you got some cauliflower. God's going to let you keep nine cauliflower, but he says, just give me one. Cucumbers, come on now. Chop that up. Put some of the lime on. It's good. But you see, God says, you get to keep nine. You get to keep, look at what we get to keep. 
And this is the only thing that God asks for. And so God says, go ahead and give me that one cucumber. Oh, some carrots is going to give you some bright eyes and give you some vision. And God says, this is not just the nose for a snowman, but this is something that we need to be intentional to give to the Lord. Oh, avocados. Come on. Now we in Texas. Smash this up. Do you know how much guacamole you make with nine avocados? It's a big bowl of guacamole. And God says, just give me one. Just give me one. Then we got jalapeno, right? Yeah. If you guacamole, you like it spicy, give God just one jalapeno. And then you just look at the blessing. And then here comes the best, bananas. Come on, banana people. You're good all day long. And sometimes you say, well, God, uh, these are the bananas. Make sure they're not bruised. Make sure they're not little weak bananas. God, I'm going to go ahead and give you that. Now, do you understand what God's asking for out of how much he's giving us? Like, look, look at the, it's literally falling off the table, and God says, all I want you to do is return to me 10% of all of the blessings that I have promised for you. Dave Ramsey, he says this, he says, to give God 10% in America, you don't even need to be blessed, you only need to have a budget. That all you have to do is it's overflowing, a blessing that's overflowing in your life. That all we have to do is be a little bit more intentional of the overwhelming blessing that he has for us so that then we can just give to him, return to him, what's the Lord's. You know, as I was thinking about it this week, the first thing that the devil tempted humanity with was eating from something that was dedicated to God. The devil shows up and he tempts Eve, not with a man who is a foot taller than Adam driving a Lamborghini. The devil did not tempt Adam by a woman who had lips, hips, and fingertips. That is not what he tempted Adam with. Am I telling the truth? The devil tempted Adam to eat something that belonged to God. The same thing still happens today. The enemy wants to tempt us to step outside of the blessing and live under a curse that's already here. And all God says is return to me what is mine and I'm going to bless you. Let me read it again. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that's going to be falling off the table, rolling all over the floor, that you won't even have room enough to store it. But I haven't gotten to the good part yet. Verse 11, God says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crop. Have you ever wondered where all your money went? Have you ever ran out of money at the end of a month? Is your money under a curse? Is stuff breaking and falling apart and stuff just keeps happening and happening? You just can't seem to get ahead because you're only operating in your wisdom, not in God's wisdom. He goes on and he says, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's right. God's going to teach you timing. Did you know that walking in God's timing is better than walking in any of man's wisdom? God's going to teach you when to hold them and when to fold them. God's let me walk into deals that I've navigated that still have other people's heads spinning because God helped me navigate because I've given him the representation of everything I own. This is what tithing is. He says, I will not allow their fruit to drop before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed. 
for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. We work so hard to look blessed. But God says when you trust me first, you're going to be blessed. Time after time after time, God's blessing has came through for Living Church. I remember when we planted this church, Rachel and I moved here. I didn't get paid one dollar for the first year of Living Church. Left a full-time job, mega church, big salary, insurance, cell phone paid for, gas card, left all of this stuff to come and pursue what God had called us to do. Rachel was a school teacher, I didn't make a dollar, but we tithed the whole first year. We said, God, we trust you with the little that we do have. After the first year, a friend of mine came to the church to visit on a Sunday. He took me out into the parking lot to show me his brand new F-250 that he had bought, brand new truck. And while we're out there, he said, Trustin, I was at the dealership about to buy this truck and, the, and I was trading him an old truck and the Lord spoke to me and he said, no, no, don't trade it in. This is Trustin's truck. And he gave me the keys to a 2007 diesel four-wheel drive F-250. I drive it to this day, gave it to me totally free. In one minute, God gave me a whole year's salary because of faithfulness. You see that truck in the video? The reason I put that truck in a video is because it's a testament to me of God's goodness in my life. When we were meeting at Aristide Event Center and didn't know what our next steps were, we knew that we had to get a bigger space. We challenged the church to give back then. And Rachel and I heard the Lord say that we want you to tithe and give $10,000 above the tithe. I was only bringing in $21,000 per year from the church as a salary. And so we said, we're going to dig deep. And I bought and sold cars and I cut down trees and I did handyman work for people around their house. And with all the joy in my heart, we brought $10,000 at the end of that gift. And we didn't know where we were going to go. We didn't have a building. We didn't have land picked out. And God opened a relationship at this building that within one conversation, we absorbed this building's payment and we were able to move in because of God's favor. I'm telling you, you can't beat God's favor. Years ago, uh, we wanted to uh, be in to invest and start giving to missions, but we had problems. We had financial problems as a church. When we got into this building, the air conditioning system didn't work. There was a hailstorm that came through and damaged a bunch of the units, and we called our insurance. The insurance wouldn't give us the money. And I'm a fighter. Like, I'm a nice pastor, but you mess with my congregation, you are in a fight. And so I'm yelling at insurance people, I'm sending emails, I'm calling lawyers. I can't get the money from the insurance people. And the Lord brings a friend of ours who's a missionary, and we feel like we're supposed to take on this missionary. We pray about it, and God says, give him $1,000 a month. God, I don't have working air conditioning at my church in Mansfield, Texas. We got to have some air conditioning. God said, and God said, do you trust me? And so we wrote this check and we committed to the missionaries that we're going to give them $1,000 a month. Aaron and Sarah Henry, we still support them there in Durban, South Africa. Less than one week later, I got a call from the insurance company and they wrote us a check for $190,000. Not only did it pay for all of our air conditioning, but we put some money in our pocket for the future. Can I tell you that when you're obedient, God will direct your steps. We had a single dad at our church who was a good guy, served, volunteered, still a big part of Living Church, he got in a car wreck, wrecked his car. Couldn't buy another car, he was trying to pull it together. We prayed and we felt like the Lord told us to buy him a car. And so we spent $3,000 of you who fed the house. And we went to this man on an Easter Sunday three years ago, and after service, no fanfare, no video, gave him a keys to a car that we bought him for $3,000. It was reliable, ran great, and he was blessed. 
two weeks later, a couple in our church, the man was a handyman, did handyman jobs. The lady was a secretary at an oil company. She was a secretary at an oil company. The company that she worked for, who she had stock with and didn't even realize it, sold. And she got a check for $3 million. And she showed up, this dead honest truth, she showed up on a Sunday and handed me a check for $300,000 in the lobby. I about passed out. $300,000 on a Sunday. God returned to us 100-fold because we were willing to trust him. These are not just stories for pastors. They're stories for people who love God. That we would understand that God is with us and that he's for us. And right now, there's two different kinds of groups of people in the room. There's people who believe what I'm saying and believe God's word. And there's people who think that I'm up here being sneaky, taking God's word out of context so that I can get paid. So let me call these, these two men by different names. I think there's a guy in our church, let's just call him Bill. So there's a guy named Bill and then there's another guy named Ted. And both these dudes are on most excellent adventure here at Living Church. They're on a most excellent adventure. And so as they're believing and pursuing what God has for them, Bill hears me talk about all this and he says, Pastor, I've got to get from point A to point B. There's financial goals in my house. I got a house that I got to pay for. I've got a car I need to pay for. I've got school to send my kids. I want to go on a vacation. I, I, I want to save for my retirement. There are some things that Bill understands that he wants to accomplish in his life. And because money is math, he does some math and realizes it's going to take me 100% of everything that I make to accomplish my goals, so I'm out on tithing. I can't do it, Pastor. When I'm here, if I got a 20 in my wallet, I'll throw it in. But I'm going to cross out the ability uh, to be able to tithe. I'm not going to do it. But then Ted, he wants to get from point A to point B too. He has the same goals. He's got a house. He's got a car. He's got school. He's got vacation. He's got retirement. He's got the same goals. But he hears the teaching and he listens to God's word. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tithe. And I'm going to choose to live off the 90% and believe that God's going to bless it. And you know what happens when Ted begins to tithe? Is God just doesn't take him from point A to point B, but he takes him to a whole new destination, point C. He says, when you're living at point C, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be highly favored. You're going to be full of wisdom. He's going to do some great things in your life. He's going to fill you with confidence and blessing. God wants to do some great things to get you to destination C, that you're going to live under God's provision. It says that when you would be obedient, that God wants to open the floodgates of heaven. Bill can get to point B. He can work hard work extra hours, he can save and scrap and do everything, and he can get to point B. And there's a lot of people in, live in Mansfield that are doing really good at point B. But you can't get in God's financial favor if you won't be obedient. And I don't care how smart you are, you can't get to point C on your own. You can't have favor and wisdom and confidence and blessing and provision and direction in your life. I know people who are millionaires and sad, don't have any community or relationship. They don't have any real wisdom. Why? Because they're doing it all in their own power. And so my heart for us as a church is that we would step out of us being our provider and step into God being our provider. So here's what I need you to do. Three things. First, I want you to pray. 
I want you to pray and say, God, what's it look like for me to charge? What's it look like for me and for my family and for our finances? What does it look like for us to charge? Some of you can step right into the tithe. You can make some budgetary decisions and you can step into the tithe. Some of you could step into being an extraordinary giver. Some of you could write big checks that could help us build that building so that we could reach thousands of more people for decades. I need you to pray. Secondly, I need you to prepare. I need you to prepare. I need you to get ready in your heart. I need you, if you're married, to get on the same page as a couple, just like the fresh hours talked about. Get on the same page. I need you to look at your finances. Last year, we had people donate stocks to the church. And so we've set it up that if you have stocks you want to donate, it's a tax blessing for you, and it's a huge advantage for us. You can donate stocks. We've had people sell property that they're sitting on. Inheritance stuff that they've received that they sell. God sells up for more money than they thought it was appraised for. They bring that blessing into the house. I want you to look at your savings. I've heard story after story of people saying, Pastor, I felt like the Lord told us to do this out of our savings account. It took me eight years to get that much money, and I gave, and within three months, God returned everything that I gave because God wants to find people to flow through. If he can get it through us, he promises to get it to us. So I need you to prepare. We had people sell cars. We've had people sell boats. We've had people with aunt so-and-so's diamond ring they're never going to wear and they don't have anybody to pass it on to. There's people that have given generously to build the kingdom of God, but I need you to prepare. Then third, I need you to be ready to invest. Be ready to invest. Next week, we're going to pass out this card. You guys all got it, I think. When you came in, the ushers gave you this card. November 17th, we're going to pass this card out and ask you to fill it out. And the real thing that matters is that one in the red down at the bottom, that's your yearly one, your one year charge commitment. This is what really matters. But there's some other tools on here to just help you. The very top box, it says what we give normally in a year. And so this week we can send out an email to everybody on their updated giving statement so that we know what it looks like, what you gave over the last year. And you would put on there what we gave last year. The second box is what is our expanded giving? So last year we gave this. Our expanded giving this year is this. You'd add those two together and that would make what you would give over the next year. But then this box is what I need you to prepare for. It says gifts from our stored resources. And so maybe you would commit and say that we can give every month this much, but we can give a one-time gift of this much. And you'd put that down, you add those two numbers together and turn it in, and it says your total one-year charge commitment. And these cards are what I take to the bank. I take these cards to the bank, and I say, here what's Living Church is committed to charge with. And then it's based off of that that we get funding to be able to charge into the future. I've had pastors tell me, trust and don't do this before Christmas. Because at Christmas, we kind of go crazy and lose our mind, and we start opening up God's blessing, and we start eating off of what we would normally give God so that we can put some stuff under the tree. But I believe that you believe God's word more than that. My kids are going to have a Christmas, but I'm going to charge. My kids are going to laugh, be excited, and open stuff under the tree, but we're still going to charge into what God's calling us to do. And what if, what if, 
Whose birthday is Christmas? What if we actually gave the guy who it's his birthday the gift? What if we gave the birthday boy the biggest gift? What if during these eight services that we're doing on Sunday, we didn't just show up, but what if we intentionally gave a gift to Jesus in a big way? And so those, that last, our Christmas Sunday is gonna be Big Give Sunday. We're not gonna talk about it. We're not gonna promote it. I'm not gonna get up in a room full of a bunch of people who don't know Jesus that are here visiting on Christmas and talk about how we're gonna give big, but we're all gonna know what we're doing that day. That we're gonna come in and we're gonna give big to the birthday boy to build his house. 